what really happened at that meeting. Go about it and good luck to you. I'd rather be investing than gambling. It's not the same thing. So we're in that volatile period of time and it is very prudent for investors to buckle up. Good day. Today is Wednesday, September 14th, 2022. And this is The Bash. Welcome to The Bash, where we bring the analyst and planner to the table to discuss relevant financial and investment topics. We're going to have 60 seconds to discuss each topic. Scott, my man, the analyst, I'm going to start you out with the toughest question of the day. How do you feel about the Eagles so far after week one? Uh, after week one, wins a win. All right. Look, guy's keeping it short. He's ready. We know we got one-minute segments, so we're going to turn up the knob here. And we're going to focus right now on what happened in Jackson Hole. We're coming off a close of the summer. People were finishing up their summer vacations. They may have been down the shore. Families were getting ready for the school year. Not the Federal Reserve. They were in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and they were making major decisions and talking. And a lot happened. So, Scott, I turn to you. What really happened at that meeting? Yeah, Jackson Hole Symposium, uh, often an event. Uh, for the markets. Uh, the Fed gets together out there. They not only do some fly fishing, uh, but they also talk about monetary policy. And this Jackson Hole Symposium, uh, like many others, uh, was led with some talk, a lot of hawkish talk, uh, meaning is the Fed raising rates fast enough? Uh, is the Fed respecting the spike in inflation or are they starting to think that inflation is rolling over? Now, this past week, we certainly got indications that that's not the case. CPI just yesterday alone came in a little bit hotter than expected, 0.1% higher month over month, 8.3% year over year. But the Jackson Hole Symposium this year was really all about, is the Fed hawkish enough? Coming out of that, we saw a little bit of volatility. Now the volatility has spiked. Now we're in the worst four weeks of the year, last two weeks of September, first two weeks of October. So we're in that volatile period of time, and it is very prudent for investors to buckle up. Fasten your seatbelts. All right, Scott, that was detailed analysis of what was happening. To me, I always used to feel that the Fed was there to help support when they weren't focused, but they end up really supporting the stock market. And to be honest, Scott, the market dropped over a thousand points at the Fed meeting when Jerome Powell spoke. It also dropped another thousand plus points on the Dow yesterday. Why? Because the inflation numbers, like you said, were a little bit higher. I mean, they were direct and they are saying at all costs, they're going to focus on inflation. Jerome Powell quoted saying, taming high U.S. inflation will inflict pain on American families and businesses. I mean, listen to that quote. That is direct. I mean, he is the new Clubber Lang out there. Pain. He's telling us we're going to have to handle the best we can when it comes to investing and dealing with the economy, because right now they're going to do whatever it takes to slow down growth. And the future of raising rates, we now need to potentially look into repricing of rate hikes. But I also want to point out, as we always say, the stock market is about the future. It's acting as if we're slowing the economy down already. And in the future, when rates may come down or inflation is lower, don't be surprised if then the market recovers faster than the economy does. So I always like to point out the stock market is a future indicator. I weep for the future.
exactly right, Matt. And the stock market is not one of the mandates on the Fed. Unemployment and taming inflation pricing. So let's move on a little bit, though. Let's get off of that topic. And let's move on to a little bit of a strategy perspective on how we manage money, specifically rebalancing. I'd like to hear from you on your thoughts on rebalancing and how you use it within our practice and our clients. All right, Scott, you read my mind. You want a definition? You've got it. Rebalancing. It involves periodically buying or selling the assets in a portfolio to regain and maintain that original desired level of asset allocation. Why do we do this? Scott, the market moves in cycles. So when you look and we meet with 401k participants and we look at their overall strategy, I want to take you back to science class. Visualize that periodic table and that chart, elements and the colors, or even most recently watching Breaking Bad. Well, also, you can visualize an asset class chart. It shows you how the market moves in cycles over time and being able to turn the knob or shift your portfolio back to those original asset allocations can potentially help you outperform in the long run. Scott, what are your thoughts? Rebalancing, it's it's a deep topic. I'm going to go at supersonic speed here because I only have now about 53 seconds. Speed is too slow. Light speed too slow? Yes, we're going to have to go right to... Ludicrous speed. Rebalancing on my side when I'm managing 15 investment models, most of them being core, a passive approach across all risk spectrums and time horizons. What I'm looking to do is take a systematic approach. Every quarter, I'm looking at our models and figuring out where deviations are occurring, which areas are outperforming, which areas are underperforming. How could I be able to rebalance to the original mix of what we're recommending and be able to do so without too much touching, without too much behavioral finance? Because even managers make many emotional and cognitive errors. You once told me don't get emotional about stock, Gordon. So my side with rebalancing, it's very methodical. But in terms of the philosophical approach, I take a micro, a bottom up, where I'm looking at an industry-based analysis and evaluation of the business cycle. Where are we right now? Hey, there you are. Well, hi, do I know you? No, but that's where you are, you're there. That will allow me to determine, are there areas of opportunity or are there areas within the models that I should consider reducing or eliminating completely? Scott, you used the word opportunity. So I'm gonna shift back to the market and we wanna focus on opportunity. In 2022, Let's be honest, the stock market's pretty much been a roller coaster. We had a bear market. Then we were rallying 50% off the bottom in July into early August. And now we've had that recent pullback again that we spoke about earlier. So, Scott, I want to turn to you as you're talking about rebalancing and opportunities. Where do you see opportunity right now in the stock market? My first question right back at you is, what's your time horizon, whoever I'm speaking to? Is it hourly, daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, annual, years? Because that's a, that's a huge problem. Right now, you're in these next four weeks, as I said before, uh, roughest time for the market. We're having our uh, midterm elections coming up. We have a very high inflationary data points that are coming out. And we're in September, last two weeks of September. So certainly in the very short term, investors that could see the forest through the trees and can look out three years will be able to find opportunities. What's that smell? The cologne? 
No. Opportunity. But to answer your question specifically, we're defensive. We want to own areas of the market that are going to do well regardless of the economy. If we do experience a recession in the future, in 2023, you want to be positioned to be owning areas that are lowly correlated with a defensive approach like healthcare. For example, my wife had a doctor's appointment today. The stock market went down 1,300 points yesterday. I didn't tell her not to go to her doctor's appointment. There are certain things that we do regardless. Coming to work, I needed more gas in the car. I stopped and filled up regardless. So those defensive areas, that's really what would be the safest positioning, consumer staples, utilities. These are the areas. Now you also want to keep on the horizon that opportunistic uh, view when the markets provide real opportunities, when the markets are so oversold that everyone is throwing the talent, so to speak. That's when you really want to be looking for those opportunities. And now may not be that time if you're a short-term investor. All right, Scott, I mean, you're the analyst here. And two things, I'm not going to fight you and I'm not going to fight the Fed. So when I look at opportunities to add on to what you're saying, I'm just going to focus here on the short term and defensive, large cap value, areas where the price to earnings ratios have been low. And we have companies that have that are offering dividends that can have a yield that can help insulate against what high inflation or rising interest rates. So when we're focusing on short term, I'm not trying to be promoting growth or areas where obviously in the long term, we've talked in the past, we like that, but short term, looking at areas that are have healthy balance sheets, like you've talked about, have solid cash flow, providing dividends, like you said, defensive, I'm suggesting and just adding on to what you're saying. So I really don't have much here other than backing what you're saying. We're on the same page here. Let's stay defensive in the short term and let's move on to the next segment because that's where we're headed right now. Yeah, Matt, we're going to move on to this new segment that we're bringing to the show, and it's called Make the Case. You're up first, so I want you to make the case. Is investing gambling? Scott, this is one of my favorite topics with clients, friends. We get this all the time. Going to casino is the same as investing. No, it's not. Why? Because one of the best assets a client, investor, or any of us has is time. And I always argue the longer you spend time in the casino, the better chance you're going to lose. The longer you stay in the market, the better chance you're going to win. And one of my favorite sayings is numbers do not lie. So let's go to statistics. Let's look at what it's like to be in a casino versus investing. So I'm going to read off some numbers to you. Scott, did you know that the odds of winning at the roulette table is 44.7%? Blackjack, it's a little bit better, 48%. Craps, 48.6%. Not bad, still under 50. And Scott, this is where it gets crazy. Kino, 23% chance your odds of winning. I don't think we're going to the casino market to play Kino. But let's look at the stock market. I'm going to show you percentage of years being in the Dow Jones from 1901 to 2020. Scott, did you know that there's a 74.2% chance that in one year you're going to have a positive return in the Dow. Over five years, rolling five years, you got 90% chance of having a positive return. 15 years, you have a 99.9% .9 chance of having a positive return. 
I'm going to make this very simple, Scott. I rest my case. I'd rather be investing than gambling. It's not the same thing. And now, Scott, let's turn to you. I want you to make the case. Are investors a detriment to long-term investing? Yes. Yes. They are. Not just investors, uh, asset managers as well. Uh, Studies show that investors and managers have a significant amount of emotional biases as well as cognitive biases. And one of the things that I've learned throughout my career is when investing, it is about the time you spend in the market and not timing the market or touching the portfolio. And that's what I often see is that investors just touch too much. They simply are acting with short-term knee-jerk reactions for events that are short-term when they've already been identified as long-term investors. So if you're out there listening and you're a short-term trader who's operating on a daily trading pattern, by all means, go about it and good luck to you. However, the majority of us are long-term investors trying to build portfolios for ultimate goals far out into the future. And the best thing that those investors can do is spend time in the market, dollar cost average. Don't touch too much. Instead, sprinkle out all of those transactions. If you're trying to build a position, do it over time. If you're trying to liquidate a position, do it over time so that all of the biases that we all have will fall off the table. A little bit more than 60, but I think it's going to do. Great point. I like that you made the case there. And what I think I've learned today is don't mess with the Fed. They know never to screw with me. Stay in the market. And Scott, are you going to be going away the end of next August when the Fed meets in Jackson Hole? Or are you going to be glued to the TV? I have a lot of practice in fly fishing. I just want everyone out there to stay safe and stay the course. So let's wrap this up as usual, Scott. Great job, my man, the analyst. And to all the investors out there, don't forget to stay focused, stay disciplined, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Bash. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor. Member, FINRA, SIPC. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee for future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. No strategy assures success or protects against loss. The economic forecasts set forth in this material may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee that strategies promoted will be successful. This information is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized tax or legal advice. We suggest that you discuss your specific situation with a qualified tax or legal advisor.